Welcome to Friendly Words, the sermon podcast of Pratt Friends Church in Pratt, Kansas. The message you're about to hear was originally preached at Pratt Friends Church on Sunday, February 6, 2023. It focuses on the way believers interact with each other and on the new creation we are in Christ. The message to all who will listen is we must overcome any sense of spiritual superiority, comparison, or rebellion, and live out our lives as God's renewed people. Now, here is Pastor Mike Neifert. Let's pray as part of our worship, and then hear God's word as part of our worship, and then we'll go eat as part of our worship. God, thank you that you are here with us, and that you want more than we want for us to hear you. We confess that sometimes our flesh gets in the way, and we ignore what you have to say because we want something that we shouldn't want. So God, help us to hear what you have for us in this moment and put it into practice as your spirit guides us throughout this week. In Jesus' name, amen. I promise I will not blow this loudly. I won't blow it at all because it's loud even if I do it quietly. So you've been to a swimming pool, right? Most of you have been to a swimming pool or a lake or someplace in your life where there's a lifeguard on duty. And kids who go to a swimming pool have trouble remembering all of the rules. They have trouble because their minds are not on the rules but on fun. They're there to cool off to enjoy the company of their friends and to have a great time. I mean, how can you walk around the pool when you need to get somewhere quickly because that's where your friends are? Who cares if the cement's wet and you might fall and whack your head? How can you not splash your friend in the face even though there's a mom with a baby behind them? How can you keep from snapping people with towels when that is clearly what towels were made for? The rules seem so overbearing, don't they? So cumbersome. How could you possibly remember all of the laws? Well, lifeguards are pretty amazing people. They can remember all of the rules. And when you do something wrong, they don't forget that that's a rule, and they, I told you I wouldn't blow it, right? Tweet! They blow the whistle. There's a reason for their memory. It's because they are there to enforce the rules so that everybody stays safe, or most people stay safe. They're there to keep people from drowning. They're there to keep people from whacking their heads and splitting their toes open and all sorts of things that can happen when you're running around barefooted in the summer. It's usually when the rules are ignored that tragedy strikes, right? The lifeguard must know when things are getting out of hand and bring order back so that the pool remains safe. Well, in Galatians, which we've been talking about for the last five weeks, in the book of Galatians chapter 6, Paul outlines the rules for the church and kind of plays the lifeguard role in the church at the beginning of this chapter. 
He has this set of rules or this, these guidelines for how the church ought to live together. And these rules, like those at the pool, are for the protection of those in the church so that we can all be safe together. And Paul, as lifeguard for Galatia, for the church in the province of Galatia, has the responsibility of keeping the church afloat. Fighting against him are attitudes that threaten to take the life out of the church that tend to cause harm. These attitudes are the same ones that can kill a church today or cause a church to flounder. So let's read and be warned by the words that Paul has for us in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. Here's what it says. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Let's check out the action at the church pool. Someone has gotten far out into the deep end in sin, and Satan is threatening to hold them under. Anybody beside me have an uncle who wanted to baptize you all the time? Baptize you in the pool? Tweet! Hey, you who are spiritually mature, help that person. Help them back into a right relationship, God. Help them with their sin. Help them to see that, that they're in too deep. The Living Bible paraphrases verses 1 and 2 like this. Dear brothers, if a Christian is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help him back to the right path, remembering that next time it might be one of you who is in the wrong. Share each other's troubles and problems and so obey our Lord's command. That's the first rule of the pool. Share each other's troubles and problems. And help each other. That's what we're supposed to do, is help each other. Not point out sin, not gossip about sin, not say that person sure needs to get straightened up, but go to that person and say, can I help you? Can I hold you accountable? Can you hold me accountable? Because it goes both ways, right? We, I may see sin in somebody at one point, but they're going to see it in me. And sometimes... Just like in any coaching relationship, you can't see what you're doing wrong. It's got to have somebody outside looking and saying, oh, let's tweak this a little bit. Let's change this. So the first rule of the pool is to share 
each other's troubles and problems and to help each other, but the troublemaker is the one who thinks that he's too good to stoop to this or too good to listen to others who are correcting. And this is an attitude of spiritual superiority thinking I'm better than others. And it's a false superiority because we're all in the same boat. There's nothing that we can do on our own in our own power. Those who think that they're better than others are really fooling themselves. And they're a nobody in the church. They're not following the Spirit of God. Those who are godly, gently and humbly, with the Spirit's help, Restore those who have sinned, knowing that they too are going to need to be rescued. Problem solved. Pull back in order. But trouble is never very far away at this pool of the church. Up on the high dive, looking down is someone who shouldn't be there, but feels compelled to jump because others are doing so. Other more mature Christians are doing it. Tweet. Get off that diving board. You haven't passed the swimming test yet. You ever seen a kid go off a diving board that doesn't know how to swim and they're in the deep end? Yeah. If you have ever been to summer camp, you have seen this. Here's what it says in verses 4 and 5 in a living translation. Pay careful attention to your own work. For then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. For we are responsible for our own conduct. How often do we find ourselves doing just what this verse tells us not to do? We look at others and we try to mimic them. We try to do what they're doing. And maybe they're being a good example. Maybe they're not. But sometimes we're not ready for those things. Or we wish that we had the gifts that someone else has in the church. We wish that we could be up front and preach. We don't want to do that. Well, the Corinthian church, we're not going to turn there, but the Corinthian church had this problem. If you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he's talking, Paul is talking about the spiritual gifts. And everybody wanted to speak in tongues in that church. And everybody is fighting because they envied the gifts that the Spirit was giving to, to one person. They were looking at that and saying, why can't I have that gift? The fact is, and will always remain, that all the gifts are given to the members of the body as God wants them to be. Dennis pulled a puzzle piece out of his Bible today and showed it to me. It reminded me of a message I spoke years ago. Anybody still have their puzzle piece? We just talked about how we each fit in and together we give a picture of who Christ is. That's why we use the gifts that God's given us is so that the world can see Jesus. And so the Spirit knows what's needed in the church and he meets the needs of all through the gifts that he gives to each person. And in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul asked some crazy questions. He said, where would the sense of smell be if everyone was an ear? And, and where would the sense of hearing be if everyone was an eye? We're each needed. We each have gifts according to the way that God 
has gifted us. And so we had the sense of spiritual superiority earlier. Now we're talking about this attitude of spiritual comparison. Why am I not like this person? Why has God not gifted me in this way? It is just as dangerous in the church as spiritual superiority. To rid the church of it, each of us must do what God has given us to do and what we do best because God's equipped us for it. Accepting our faults and weaknesses as well as our gifts and our abilities, and we let God judge the other person. We let God take care of what's going on in them. We gain personal satisfaction from doing just what God has given us to do without comparing ourselves to others. Another soul saved from the peril of spiritual drowning. Now, we look and see someone running on the slick concrete, ignoring God, even mocking the rules as useless. Tweet! Stop running. Tweet! Stop running. Tweet! Stop running. Sometimes it takes more than one whistle, doesn't it? You're going to get hurt. Down goes that kid that won't listen. Bang. His head hits the cement and he slips into the water. Ignoring God's rules will bring spiritual death. In fact, that's what we do before we believe on Christ. We continually ignore those rules. We continually ignore what God has set out for us. Paul says it very clearly. He says, a man will always, always reap what he sows. So if you go out in your garden, some of you have a garden, or maybe you used to be farm, wouldn't you be surprised if you planted corn and pumpkins came up? I would be surprised. But it probably wouldn't surprise us at all if we found ourselves without friends after gossiping, after lying about someone, or lying to them. If we aren't careful, we find ourselves in an attitude of spiritual rebellion, which left unchecked will lead to spiritual death. Let God's rules be your rules for living, and let the Spirit help you to escape from the trap of the devil who's taken you captive to do his will. Back at the pool, we see someone who is depending on their own strength and is trying to do what's right. He too is in danger. Tweet! You need to rest. Get out of the deep end now. If we are continually depending on our own strength to do what's right, we will grow tired and weak and may give up and drown while trying to restore others. Verse 9. And let us not get tired of doing what's right, for after a while we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't get discouraged and give up. Our problem is not a lack of strength, but not getting our strength from the right source. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus promises his disciples that they will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on them. That's the source. That's the promise to all of us who need the Spirit. And that keeps us from spiritual burnout. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says it perfectly. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. If we try to live for Christ on our own, we're going to drown. 
But when we put our trust in him, he will give us the strength and understanding that we need. So these are the attitudes that Paul calls us to abandon. Spiritual superiority, spiritual comparison, spiritual rebellion, and he wants to protect us from spiritual burnout. Paul has warned us of these problems and shown the way to avoid them, restoring others humbly and gently, checking yourself only against what God wants for you, doing what he's given you, obeying his commands, and letting God give you the strength for the task that he's called you to. If these could all be summed up, it is in the attitude of submission to God, resting in him. That's what we need in order to ensure that others and ourselves are safe within the church. Let us not get tired of doing what's right. That's what the scripture tells us. Let our prayers this week be for more humility and submission to God's will for our lives. So, think about your signature. Maybe you wrote a check this morning as you were getting ready to come to church. You wanted to put something in the offering. You had a checkbook. That signature says, this is me. I'm giving this. I'm giving permission for this money to go where I want it to. Uh, it works with contracts, right? You sign a contract says, I'm going to live up to my end of this. I'm, I'm signing on the dotted line, says, this is, this is my contract. I, I authorize you to do something if I break that contract. Our signatures are proof that we, in fact, support what we've signed our name to, like petitions. We want this to happen. I'm going to sign my name to it. And this is why forgery is a crime. It's because we want to protect others from illegal use of their character or their assets or whatever because of the damage it can cause to a person's name. If we don't see a signature at the bottom of a letter or if we just get a rubber-stamped one or a pre-printed one, ever get a letter from the President of the United States? He didn't address the envelope to you, by the way. We see that. We know that that person may or may not entirely endorse what's there. He said, okay, yeah, you can send that out. Or somebody in the office of the president has said, let's send this out, and somebody else has written it. Senators, congressmen, all those send out letters. They're copied and stamped, and, and they're not really worth anything. But let's just say for a second that maybe 20 years ago you got a letter from whoever was president at that time, that might be worth something. If you actually got a personal letter from a president of the United States that was in their signature, you might be able to make a little bit of money on that, right? Much of the letter of Galatians was probably written by a scribe, somebody that took down dictation, wrote it on a papyrus or a wax tablet or some way wrote down what was going to be passed on to the church. That was the custom of Paul's day, and Paul probably could have let his scribe sign it for him. In fact, there are places in some of the books that I, uh, Tychicus wrote this or took the dictation but the content and message of Paul's letter here to the Galatians is so important that he writes the last few verses, or at least signs it himself, to prove the validity of the whole, to say, this is what I want you to understand. 
In verse 11 of chapter 6, Paul says, See what large letters I use as I write this with my own hand. He might as well have written, I mean every word of this letter. So we're going to read the last few verses of what Paul has here in Galatians chapter 6. We're going to read verses 11 through 18 and see what Paul wanted to emphasize with the rest of his letter. He's signing his name to these statements. Let's read what Galatians 6, 11 through 18 say. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. Let's look at this a few verses at a time. Verses 12 and 13 show the Galatians what the true motives are behind those who want them to be circumcised. He says, those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. So why are Christians being persecuted? They're being persecuted because they preach a salvation by grace apart from the law. And the Jews didn't like that. They didn't like it because they had gone through circumcisions and washings and sacrifices and on and on and on. They'd, they'd been saved by the law, or so they thought. It was still in the Old Testament times, and by Jewish standards, it was still faith in Jesus in doing those things that brought salvation, not the acts themselves. They had worked for salvation, and now these Christians were being told that they could find freedom in Christ without rituals, without all those things. And so the Jewish people outside of the church and some of them within were naturally jealous, and they started beating up on the new kid. That's kind of what happens. I've been the new kid at school. Anybody else been the new kid at school? Some of you grew up in the same town. You never had to deal with this. You come in as the new kid, they're going to beat you up just to find out if they can. It happened over and over. I am a wounded person. I'm all right. God's helped me <laughs> and worked that out in me. Well, certainly the attitude of the, these Jewish people around them, maybe if we beat them up enough, they'll reject Christ. Or maybe if we insist on it. They'll come back into the fold and they'll do the things that the law says. The Jews didn't want to be persecuted for the cross of Christ, the Jewish believers, so they tried to grab what seemed to be the best of both worlds. They were out only for their own good, to make a good impression. 
You saw it in that verse before. They're only out to impress people by means of the flesh, by compelling others to be circumcised. Secondly, they did what they were doing so that they could win somebody over to what they thought was the truth. Winning somebody over could only look good on their record. Surely the rest of the Jews wouldn't beat them up if they got someone else to come back to the way of salvation by the law. They were trying to rack up merit badges from their Jewish scout leaders. Paul writes these words so that the Galatians will know the truth and turn back to the freedom that they have in Christ. After these two verses, Paul shows them what a Christian has to boast in. It's not about what they do. It's not about what they say, but about whose they are and what he's done for them. They can't boast about the number of rituals they've observed. They can't boast about how good they are or how much money they gave. They can't boast about anything. They can only boast in the cross of Christ. It seems kind of crazy to boast about somebody that died by execution, doesn't it? Seems kind of silly. Like, oh yeah, there's that guy that I follow. He let himself be crucified. He let himself be hung on a cross. And yet that's what we boast in. Christ has put my sin to death. I am the one who is forgiven because of what he's done. God rules in my life And the world no longer has control because of Jesus and what he did on the cross and because I have crucified myself. What an incredible thing the cross is. I don't boast about what I've done. I boast about what I could never have done for myself, and it's been done for me. The cross of Jesus is absolutely, we sing it, the wonderful cross. It's wonderful because those who believe in him and accept the gift of salvation, it brings, have eternal life. That's the only thing we can boast about. We can only boast in Jesus and what he's done for us. He's the only one worth boasting about and the gift that he's given. Finally, in verse 15, Paul concludes the matter. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Circumcision doesn't matter. Uncircumcision doesn't matter. Neither one of them matter at all. Being good doesn't matter. Going to church doesn't matter. I'm glad you're here. I'm not saying don't come. But for salvation, it's not in doing. It's not in being in a place. Only becoming a new creation matters, and that's the only way to salvation. It's the only proof of salvation. A Christian who doesn't follow Christ is not a Christian. A person who does not see changes in their life has to question whether the Spirit's there because the Spirit comes in and begins to change us from the inside out. He changes our heart and our minds so that we think more like Christ and we act more like him and we love more like him. When someone believes in Christ, the Holy Spirit makes them a new creation, and that new creation begins to show itself. Gradually, sin loses its hold on their life. We begin to love the things of God and to hate the things of our flesh. 
Attitudes change from me first to God's first, from me first to others first. In the final verses, Paul seals what he has written with a few closing remarks. Peace and mercy will be with those who trust Christ only and who do not run after circumcision or anything else. He says, I I mean what I say, and the marks on my body from the beatings and the stonings prove my dedication to the gospel. Paul went through a lot to make sure the message came to those people. And finally, he says to his readers, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Grace is what he preached. Grace is what he believed. Grace is what he lived. And this benediction is his prayer for them that they would receive grace from our Lord Jesus Christ. He truly wants them to know the grace of Jesus Christ who died to take away their need to follow the law. Paul's message to the church today would be the same. It is the same. His words have been brought to us so that we can hear them. Trust in God's grace for salvation. Don't go to church to impress men or women. Don't evangelize to boast about all your converts and say, look how good I am. Boast only in the cross of Christ and the blood that was shed for your salvation. Shed so that your sins could be taken away and you could be forgiven. Boast in that. Boast in the one who died for you and then do what he commands you to do because you are a new creation in him and the spirit is there to help you. May God's grace truly be with you, brothers and sisters. Amen? Let's take just a few moments to respond to whatever God's been saying to your heart as I've been preaching. I pray that God's word would sink deep into you and that you would live as he's shown you. God, I thank you that you have made me and made my friends here, those who have put their faith in you, that you've made us into new creations. You've changed our hearts, taking away that heart of stone that rejected you, and you've given us hearts of flesh which are deeply in love with you and those that you love, which is the world. Thank you, God, for sending Jesus in love to save us so that those who believe could have eternal life. God, help us to live out what we've heard today, to not be comparing ourselves to others or wishing we had that gift or this gift or being jealous of others or speaking ill of others. God, help us to live by faith in your son, Jesus, to live by the grace that you've given us through him. God, may we boast only in you this week and only in the cross of Jesus and what he's done for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
We hope you have been encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. If you want to hear each week's message, be sure to subscribe to Friendly Words in your podcast app. May God bless you as you follow Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit.